about you guys, but I think this gets the energy up. The streamer yeah. stock music to get us going to talk about banking. I'm, I'm pretty energized now. Wonderful world of banking. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we do that, of course, got to go through all the key items that we always do at the top of the show. Ask you guys very kindly to like, comment, and subscribe as you do all the time. It helps us out a ton. Check out the discount links in the description below for Seeking Alpha and for ShareSite. You can get a discount on their uh, premium subscriptions for both services. They both have free free uh, versions as well. So if you want to check it out, go ahead and do that. Just be sure to use our link. Uh, check out the Discord as well if you want to get involved with some more in-depth conversations about all sorts of different stocks and things going on in the investing world. And uh, yeah, with that said, let me turn off this uh, superb <laughs> music that still okay, has me really energized. I don't know about you guys. Are you ready to talk about banks today? Because this is going to be fun. <laughs> I just got real bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no energy. Energy just left the room. Um, yeah, we had to go. We had to go back and forth a bit in the chat this morning when we were figuring out a topic about whether banking's exciting enough. So hopefully that got people in the mood. <laughs> I mean, you look at the stuff we talk about from week to week. You know, inflation, debt. <laughs> I, I think we'll be okay. The, the, the people they yeah. just want to know. They just want to learn things. We're very. We're a very knowledgeable and very thoughtful crowd, so I, th- I think we'll be okay. <laughs> and if the algorithm no- if the algorithm doesn't like it, we'll move on on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. It's so, important. where do we start? Should we explain what banking is, Tom? I know you've been doing some deep dives into banking recently, as you kind of get familiar with uh, all the inner workings. You've read, read, read a few books at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or maybe just one in depth guide. I forget oh, what's that one called just again. The one, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bank Investors Handbook, the Bank Investors Handbook. Um, who's that by again? Uh, Nathan Tobik and Kenneth Yellen, I think it is. Look at he's got both authors at on yeah, there. <laughs> at, at at Oddball Stocks on Twitter, I believe. Should we put um, a picture of the book? If you have yeah, it. sure. And you want to? Yeah. You want to send? I don't have it ready, but um, yeah, it it is very good. I mean, I yeah, I've I've been trying to understand banking. Obviously, all of us will have day to day interactions with banks, and we'll have a rough idea of what a bank does. But um, from an investment perspective, I really want to try and get my head around it. Um, understand how to think about like the key factors that drive that type of business, and what you'd look for in a kind of high performing bank, and then. Also, just uh, you know how to think about valuation as well. Um, and I know Frank's got at least one bank investment, and he's been kind of getting into that world as well. So, it has been interesting to to start diving into. Tom, you know, I'm totally new to this. What is banking? When you talk about banking, can it what, what, explain <laughs> it to someone who's totally new to this space? Never, never yeah. seen a bank or even heard of this word. What what, what is banking? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone into crypto. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so um, I think one of the interesting things about looking at banking as well is that it can get very complicated very fast and from the outside looking in probably seems like a little bit of a black box and I, I feel like I've come out of these last couple of months of diving into it more, having uh, a lot better understanding of, you know, that they're not actually as much of a black box as you might initially think. Certainly some of the bigger banks probably are. There's a lot of complexities there, but... Um, some of the smaller banks, not so much. But, um, yeah, at its core, um, banking is is more or less um, kind of there to facilitate connecting people with money with people that need money, basically. So um, if you look at the balance sheet for a bank, it's kind of inverse to a normal company. They have uh, assets made up of loans, generally, uh, and they have liabilities made up of deposits, Um and trying to understand how a bank works is really all about trying to dive into those two different aspects, understand what type of loans they're making, um, what kind of quality loans that they're making, what sort of interest rates are they earning on those loans, and then looking at how they're funding those loans. Is it through deposits, which are generally speaking kind of the lowest cost source of funding for a bank, or have they issued a bunch of preferred stock or something like, you know, Bank of America did to Buffett in the financial crisis just to get some capital? And that tends sure. to be a much more expensive source of funding. A so nice 10% yield or, or whatever he's got. <laughs> exactly. So so those are the very basics. So uh, when it comes to cr- creating loans, um, 
I know there's a, there's a lot of we can talk about compliance in a bit because that's obviously a big issue with with banks in general, especially since the financial crisis. But even before then, um, when they create these loans, they can kind of multiply whatever their existing deposits are, right? Like take us kind of through like reserves and all that. Yeah, sure. So um, a rough rule of thumb is probably that, and you know. Uh, each individual situation is different, but a rough rule of thumb is that a typical bank might have about 10 times uh, kind of assets to equity. So um, they might have kind of net worth on their balance sheet of, say, a million dollars in a really tiny little bank, and they could have loans up to, say, $10 million. Um, so they tend to be businesses with a lot of leverage. That's kind of their business model. They tend to earn very low returns on on assets. Um, like if they're earning, say, 2% returns on assets, that would be like unbelievably good for a bank. But since they're so leveraged, you know, if they're earning that 2% on assets and they're leveraged 10 to 1, that suddenly turns into a 20% return on equity. Um and, you know, for that reason, banks can be pretty good businesses, um, assuming that you don't do dumb stuff, basically. Since there is a lot of leverage, um, there is the possibility of blowing up if you make really stupid loans. <laughs> it's pretty easy to wipe out basically all of your equity, even if you have, you know, a relatively modest percentage of those loans go south. And what about reserve requirements? Like The governments everywhere have various requirements or central banks, I should say, like the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve here in the U.S., um, though they dropped those after the pandemic uh, yeah. started. So um, have, have you looked at like kind of different countries and what, what different reserve requirements are and what, what, what's kind of a typical sort of balance that banks have? Yeah, I, I haven't looked in a huge amount of detail, to be honest. Um, and like you say, it's going to, it's going to move around a lot, especially between countries. And it yeah, changed yeah, a lot, as I understand it, um, after the financial crisis, particularly in the States. Uh, we were talking mm-hmm. a little bit before this that I went and just dug out like a Lehman Brothers annual report from 2006 or 2007 when I was first getting into the space, just try to understand, you know, whether it really is a black box and I wouldn't have been able to find any red flags or whether I actually might have been able to um, pass on that stock I had looked at it back then um, and I, I would back myself you know fairly confidently to say I would have seen some red flags the leverage was just unbelievable like I, I think I said you know typically rule of thumb you might be leveraged 10 to 1 and Lehman we might want to pull up the exact numbers but it was getting pretty close to like 30 to 1 <laughs> leverage from memory and you, you don't need a lot to go wrong to well, to have what what exactly happened to kind of happen. So. And that's just publicly disclosed. Like it could have been even worse, but even just from that. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. So, so what's to, yeah, to, what, what's to, to, to stop a bank then from just creating tons and tons of loans? If like right now with the US, there's, they removed the reserve requirement. I, I want to say they started to reinstitute some reserve requirements very recently. I'm not too sure on that. You might be more familiar by, by now, Tom. But uh, what's to stop a bank from just making infinite loans? Yeah, I mean, I would hope they've learned some lessons from the financial crisis. <laughs> that, <laughs> that that might stop them from doing it. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I'm super familiar with those all of the regulatory capital requirements. But generally speaking, um, there is an upper limit to how leveraged they can be. Um, and yeah, it varies depending on where in the world you are. Well, maybe now would be a good time to talk about loan repackaging and selling and all that stuff because banks are generating fees when they create loans too in addition addition to charging interest on the loan if they hold it. But in a lot of cases, they don't hold it and they sell it to someone else. They sell the loan to someone else, maybe the government, maybe a pension fund. Um, It it seems like to me, just my kind of knee-jerk reaction is probably not a lot of on-balance sheet loans for a lot of banks. A lot of them get sold to something like the Federal Reserve or somewhere else or pension funds. Um, Do you see in in your research thus far, have you seen a lot of banks that hold um, uh, their own loans on their own balance sheet? I know we've talked about Hingham Hingham Institute for Savings, right? Uh, That seems to be one of the kind of the rare 
uh, rare examples of a smaller bank holding holding its own uh, loans. Uh, what, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, yeah that's I think those would be investment banks, right? I mean, you're talking about securitization. So traditional banking, investment banking would be very different. So, no, not necessarily. Even with, uh, uh, say, uh, for example, um, a mortgage company will, or, or a bank that has a mortgage arm will create a mortgage lending to, oh, we'll just say Bank of America. Bank of America makes a, makes a mortgage for someone uh, they will then, and they'll do that a hundred times. They will then sell a package of those mortgages to say Fannie Mae or, or some government company, quasi company, or even the central bank. Um, and they no longer have those loans in their balance sheet, but that, that's a bank making a loan. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, uh, separate from investment banking, which might actually buy those mortgages on the other end. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's what I'm getting at. I think um, you're starting to move into the territory of why banking is a hard industry is there's so many moving parts even with in just the loans portfolio. There's so many different things a bank can do with that, Um, which is why 99.9% of banks I'd be passing on pretty quickly just because they're doing so many different things and they're hard to understand. Um, There's only a select few banks that would interest me and it's because they keep things very simple. So you mentioned Hingham's and them keeping their loan book very simple. Um, mm-hmm. It is all their own loans. They're pretty easy to understand. They don't do too much else. They pretty much just have commercial real estate. That's most of their portfolio. A bit of um, other real estate loans on top of that. And you don't really need to think about their deposits too much because it's a very small aspect of their business. So sure. um, when you're talking to Bank of America, Citibank or anything else, um they're getting very complicated at that point. They're doing so many different things. And I think to understand that you need to spend a lifetime in the industry. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think if you look at um, like Hingham's a nice example, because they basically only have, um, they basically only make real estate loans. They have residential and commercial real estate loans is the only lending they do. Um, it's kind of like a joke they put up almost in their investor presentations and in their conference calls. They have like, um, slide one is like um, this Buffett quote of banking's a really good business if you don't do dumb stuff. <laughs> slide two is what we do and it has like three points on it. And then slide three is what we don't do and it has like a boatload of, point, of bullet points on it of like yep. we don't have credit cards, we don't um, make a meaningful proportion or maybe any of their revenue from um, from like fees on, on accounts. Um, they don't do like car loans, they don't do all sorts of different stuff. So if you can stick to those types of banks, um, not to say, you know, hang them specifically, but if you can s- stick to those smaller regional banks, they can be much simpler to, to understand. And we just should, to name uh, another few, I guess, not to just plug Hingham too much, there's banks like Pinnacle or Bank of Oklahoma who also keep their operations very simple. Um, so I guess if you're getting started, there's some names to... I guess try and understand what they do before you try to understand what something much bigger is doing. What do they is primarily focus on? Is it just real estate loans or or any, any Hingham's sort of niche? Is, Hingham's is just commercial real estate, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two on is also another one, right? That uh, has come up quite often. I think Phil Towns invested, or is he out? I hear yeah, a lot bank, about it, but I've never looked into it. A bank of the Ozarks, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's his. Uh, that that's his biggest position, I think. Um, still, and okay. I think so. Uh, might have cash that, was. But <laughs> cash <laughs> yeah, for cash options. Gold. You forgot gold and silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you include that in the cash file, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, I think that's his biggest stock position. We'll put it that sure. way. And um, they definitely have a large real estate component. Although I think they are often lending. Um, on development projects as opposed to like established properties fully leased out, um, which uh, Hingham do a little bit of that as well, but they're probably a little or potentially a lot more risk averse, I would say, in their loan underwriting. Well, what what are some of the other loan options out there? Because let's let's kind of walk through some of the products that bank could offer. We mentioned mortgages with, with real estate. Uh, Tom, you mentioned credit cards being another potential thing. Um, well, I just listen off potential loans, personal loans. There's a bank like Ally that focuses exclusively, auto. not exclusively, but pretty much auto loans only. Um, yeah, auto loans. Yep. So 
yeah, each bank focus on different ones. And then the ones that include all types of loans is where it's just like <laughs> impossible. And then on top of that, they're offering other products to uh, investing services and op- options on, on their debt load and buying securities. That, yeah. And the balance sheet gets extremely complicated very quickly. That's just on the balance sheet side before you even talk about revenue generation and all that. Yeah, and it, it seems like, um, <clears throat> or it almost certainly is the type of business where management is like extremely important. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> if you st- if you start looking at some of those bigger banks, you're not often, I guess, in absolute dollar terms, you'll find managers that have big investments. But in terms of like percentage ownership of the company, uh, you'll struggle to find that with like you know Goldman Sachs or Bank of America or City or, or that type of thing. Whereas you can find that in some well, smaller regional banks. I, I think it's because a lot of those huge banks are so old that it's that a lot of them are well over a hundred years old. You're not going to have any like founders, for example. You might have. Um, yeah. I was going to say you might have some like family, but even then, like it's all been split up a million times <laughs> with each decade that passes. Some of these banks go way back in the 1800s. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. for the US yeah. mega banks. We should probably distinguish between like financial institutions and banks. So well they're they're often quite intermixed. I think that's why we can't um Yeah, but like in two thousand eight a lot of the financial institutions got converted to bank holding companies, right? So what exactly changed? Maybe mm. we could get into that. Doesn't that really just change kind of compliance and some of the things they can yeah. do? That's I think that's so, the main change, yeah. right? Yeah, that they can actually accept loans and that they're backed by the Federal Reserve. That's the primary difference. When you're a bank holding company, you're backed by the reserve. And if you're not, then, well, best of luck. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some other interesting things there when you, um, when you have a bank holding company and when you don't. Um, like, I believe Hingham actually lacks a bank holding company, which is quite unusual. Um, there's some interesting things there, like I believe when you do have a bank holding company, it's much you can sort of um, you can sort of funnel profits up to the holding company to make distributions like dividends and share buybacks. And there's um, a lot more kind of process you need to go through when you don't have when you don't have a bank holding company. But there's quite a few other different setups that are possible. I believe having a bank holding company is the most common. Um, and I'd need to refresh my memory, but if you look through the Bank Investors Handbook, I think there's at least five or so different kind of setups that, that banks can have. Um, and there's interesting quirks and pros and cons to each. That, this is a, just in general, this, we're, since we're talking about compliance, I know that's a huge budget item for certainly the big banks, but small banks as well. And that's why you see so few small banks as, if, as if the industry has been heavily consolidated over the last really hundred years, but definitely over the last 30 or 40. Um, so like with Hingham, for example, do we know how much of their budget goes just towards compliance, even with a relatively, we'll call it tight, uh, uh, balance sheet of just going through, you know, real estate loans. Cause I bet it's a pretty significant portion. You don't have the economies of scale that something like a JP Morgan chase would have where, even though you're spending a skadillion dollars on, on compliance, it's small relative to your revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Like how uh, do we, do we have any idea what, what kind of compliance budget they have? Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that question specifically, but I guess talking about expenses more generally a little bit. Um, I mean, banks, they don't probably often get categorized this way as much as they should, but banks are just commodity companies. Like, a dollar from bank A spends the same as a dollar from bank B, and um, just like it's just cash like is a commodity, you know, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, and, and just like any other commodity company, it tends to be the low cost producer that has the the greatest advantages. So, um, you know, you can look at those types of um, those types of metrics. Um, like if you were to if you were to pull up a Hingham presentation, for example. Um, you'll see sort of the trend of their costs kind of steadily going down over time. Um, yeah. So don't know the answer to your question specifically. Don't you? Yeah. Exactly. I'm looking at Ticker right now. For, for lawyer him. fees. That's what he's interested in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not on the finance. Well, I do some financing, but not for, not for the bank itself. Uh, 
I've done a little bit of lending work uh, for mortgages, but no, nothing, nothing, nothing on the compliance side. That's a whole different animal. Yeah. And banks will have in-house teams for all that because you're just dealing with it all day. Which I mean, can clearly it's do. an attractive sector though. Like, I mean, if you see companies like Square, you know, they're getting the banking um, permits and everything. So there's probably a reason that, you know, traditional, um, the traditional finance space is being, you know, your new entrance coming in. So, but I'm not sure what kind of bank license does Square have. So do you guys know about that? That's, that's a good question because yeah, there's only so much you can do. It just shows you how, com- but that really goes to how hard competition really is in this. Um, because just to even like start, you got to pour millions of dollars into lawyer fees and, and other things to just get the compliance up and running, which is kind of crazy. Um, which is not the case in many industries, most industries probably, uh, where it's just intense, intense compliance, which maybe, you know, in the inefficiencies, there are opportunities and that can give existing players a huge leg up. Um, I don't know what your guys' perspective is on that, but it's kind of like a, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's horrible in some ways and great in others from like an investor's perspective. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't have much to add on that. <laughs> yeah, those right, with niche understanding it. will benefit, like I think, with any industry. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I think Buffett's had like a perfect track record when you look at his banking investments, right? So, we should, maybe we should talk about Buffett now, as he's been buying yeah. uh, City. Yeah, it'd be After, interesting to talk about City. I think. Uh, and what was he selling? He was selling off uh, what Wells, Wells. Wells Fargo and yeah. um, wasn't there something else? Another bank. U.S. Bancorp, is it? Yeah, U.S. Bank as well over the last year. And I think Bank of America is like a second or third position, right? Bank yeah, that's position. from the nice preferred shares he got. Too, right? We in Bank of America too, I think. Correct, that yeah. And, and DJ Co. from the financial crisis. And Charlie. Yes, Charlie Mulvey. Guy Spear? Yes. Guy Spear too. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. So I wonder what's kept Monish like away from um, the banking. I know he was in like Silicon Valley blow ups. Bank, but then, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he blew up Delta Financial, right? Is that what it was called, Delta Financial? Yeah, but that's the financial institution. So that was mortgage. Yeah, yeah. I don't mortgages. know exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a weird industry because um, I think. Uh, the guy, I'm blanking on his name, sorry, Frank, but the guy you interviewed for a Twitter thread a little while back um, sort of described banking as a nice get-rich-slow type industry, and that maybe deters a few people because it is quite boring. Um, but banks tend to have a higher return on equity than the typical American business, and they tend to trade at a lower valuation than the typical American business. So it is a nice hunting ground, assuming that you're not like restricting yourselves to things that must be five baggers in the next two years and that sort of thing. <laughs> so um, Sam Haskell is his name. He runs, yeah. I think, Calarion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, is a fund and he focuses exclusively on banks. Um, and, yeah, I kind of asked him that question and he said it's a kind of a cheat code because there's 800 banks roughly that you have to understand. And if you know the industry well enough, you can pick out those companies <laughs> that return around 10% or a little bit more. And if you're looking at the S&P 500 long-term, say 8%. So it's just that slight bit of outperformance and get rich slow. And you only have to understand a very tiny portion of companies compared to what you would if you were investing in the 70-odd thousand public companies worldwide. So, And I guess in that 800, he would be passing on a lot very quickly just because he has an understanding. So. Should we take a look at uh, Citigroup since that's the bank Buffett's been buying most recently? Um, sure. Jack, Jack, just to steer you in the right direction, I do find QuickFS actually really good for um, getting some basic stats on banks if you maybe want to pull Citigroup up on QuickFS if possible. That kind of tells a little bit of the story. One moment. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just, 
I'm just looking in the comments. Someone said that Buffett, well, I guess Berkshire also buying Ally Bank, which certainly wouldn't be Buffett, I don't think. It would be Ted or Todd, I'm assuming, but I didn't know that was happening either. So here's City. Yeah, so if you want to just zoom right in on the key stats section, that kind of tells the story here. So um, like I was talking about earlier, return on assets in banks tends to be very low. Um, Even by banking standards, this is pretty low for City at 0.8%. And under capital structure, their assets to equity of 9.4. So that's kind of how leveraged they are on those assets, obviously. So that gets them up to a return on equity of 6.8%, which is pretty anemic um but when you compare that to the price to book and with most banks um that will be basically equivalent to the price to tangible book as well there's typically not a lot of intangibles on a bank balance sheet but you'd have to check that with city um they're trading at 0.5 times book 0.5 times book so you can effectively double that return on equity of 6.8 percent and get closer to 13, 14% kind of expected returns. Um, so it looks pretty cheap on that front. The kind of underlying performance of the business isn't great. Maybe Buffett thinks it'll get better and maybe he thinks even if it kind of stays constant, he he might do okay too. How do we oh, factor in uh, in inflation and, and interest rates in general uh, into all of this? Because that's obviously a big concern for investors now. And if you're a lender... Yeah. And maybe your loans are fixed for some period of time. You can't raise interest rates even as inflation rises. And if inflation's high, well, that means your customers are paying you back with lesser dollars. So is is that like an overly is that an overly um an outsized risk, we'll say, compared to maybe some other businesses because of their interest rate mm-hmm. risk? We would see that yeah. in the net interest margin, right? I mean, isn't that right, Tom? Uh, yeah, you would. Uh, like so efficiently two, they're able to get the money in and loan it. Yeah, out. yeah. So there's a couple of things there. So the net interest margin is basically very simplified right down as like the difference between um, what they're earning on their loans versus what they're paying to depositors. So um, that would tend to be fairly constant even at higher interest rates it may even get wider slightly at higher interest rates um you know people don't tend to get as caught up with a slightly wider net interest margin when the absolute interest rates uh, are higher so potentially they could expand that out and increase their return on equity so so just to clarify as inflation and interest rates are rising they're still keeping that margin everything just kind of trails it in a way that makes sense yeah or or the margin may even get wider so like in this example if they're paying depositors uh one percent then they are lending money out at four and a half to get a net interest margin of Mm 3.5 whereas if they're paying depositors five percent maybe they can lend at 10 or 11 percent and people are still okay with that if that makes sense yeah Um, it's like leveraged in that way yeah so so that's part of the equation the other thing to yeah, you, you're right though, Jake. You'd have to dig into what the loan profile looks like and how long dated some of those loans are. And same thing on deposits. Um, you'd have to look into um, what those sources of funding kind of look like if it's all very short-term deposits and you have to start paying higher interest on that very quickly. Sure. And then you've got long-term loans that don't roll into higher interest rates for a while. That can bite. Um so you'd want to understand what that sort of looks like. Um, but all, all businesses are negatively impacted by inflation if they can't increase their return on equity, though. Yeah. Should, yeah. Should we compare City to, like, Wells Fargo so we can, like, get an idea as to sure. why Buffett is probably selling Wells and buying City? Well, let, let's do Bank OZK. That's kind of interesting, the, the little fill town yeah. bank. We could do, let's do both. Let's do Wells first. I'm curious, sure. too. Yeah. As well as Fargo. Yeah, so much healthier return on assets, return on equity, but it's trading closer to book value. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. 
You have about the same net interest margin, very similar, similar yes. trend too. Yeah, which would tell you that City probably has higher um, just operating costs if they've got a similar mm-hmm. net interest margin, but their return on assets is lower. The return on so, equity is like double, isn't it? Almost. Uh, yeah. What was the return on assets at? Um, Around six. Six point eight yeah. and eleven point three over there. Yeah. Well, that's influenced by the leverage, though. I would pay more attention to the return on assets to compare, like the quality of the business, if that makes okay. any sense. Um, but still, reasonable difference. Because with this almost a similar net interest margin, they've got higher like significantly higher price to book significantly yeah. higher return on equity but the return on assets is where the difference is <laughs> Eunice here says that some Turkish banks trade around 0.25 price to book dang <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't can't the quality of the deposits <laughs> yeah yeah which, which makes sense like if the if the return on equity of the bank is 10 or 15% in Turkey when inflation's like 50%, <laughs> then they deserve to trade at a low price to book. As with Again, as with any business, but uh, it's kind of more obvious in banks. What is a Bank of the Ozarks uh, ticker? OZK. 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 Oh, no B. Um, yeah. Just touching on those Turkish banks as well, I think it's important to think of a bank as a commodity business that it really is like, the value of that dollar or lira or whatever it is in Turkey um, is important to their operation. So it's cheap for a reason, I guess. And when you talk about tangible books, like um, what sort of tangible assets do you talk about? Like is it assets that the bank controls or is that different for each bank? Do you guys know? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like the... The uh, all I was saying before is the book value is basically the same as tangible book value in a bank generally. Um, they don't often have like intangible brand assets or goodwill, oftentimes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, there was a bank that I was looking at like a while back, I think two years back, it was called Unique Credit, um, Italian bank. I very quickly understood, yeah, it's just going to go over my head. Um, but they had a lot of assets like art and um, all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, okay, how is this relevant Weird. to a bank? <laughs> Sounds yeah, more like okay. a fund. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, um, like there will be other assets in there that contribute to that uh, tangible book value. Like Hingham has an equity portfolio, for example, that Isn't I'd it? have to recheck the numbers, but it might make up ballpark like 20% of their book value, something like that. Um, mm. Yeah. Did we have Banco ZK there? Jim? Yes. What do we got? Uh, one price to book. Yeah. So this is a really interesting one because the return on assets is greater. The net interest margin be, is greater. Yeah, significantly um, greater than net interest. But the return on equity is only slightly greater. Yeah. And um, this is one of the interesting things. So um, obviously we've seen very famous examples what, 14 years ago or something now of a bunch of bank blowups that tend to concern people. Um, and this is a really interesting example where Bank of the Ozarks, to my knowledge, tend to probably make riskier loans than the, the typical bank because they're often construction loans and that type of thing um so they have a higher net interest margin they have a higher return on equity but they haven't leveraged themselves anywhere near as much as the other banks they've got assets to equity of 6.5 versus i don't know what it was on the other ones close to 10 i think from memory um so there's sort of two ways to look at risk here there's looking at the actual loans and the deposits and understanding what the makeup there is but then um there's the leverage component too. So more leverage doesn't necessarily mean more risk. Less leverage doesn't necessarily mean less risk because you could have less leverage but really risky loans or vice versa. Like yeah. Hingham is probably a good example of the exact opposite to Bank OZK where they have like laughably small um, loans go south 
but they tend to use a little more leverage. They might be 11 or 12 times SSD equity from memory. Mm. The loans to deposit, it's quite significant, I think, even compared to the other banks that we're looking at. Almost 90%, on average, 90, 92%. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the others. Yeah, wow, significantly higher. Yeah. This is uh, well. That's what stands out. And then City, even lower. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and if you were to look at Hingham, I think the loan to deposits is like north of 100% because they've got... About 110%, I think. Yeah, they've got sources of funding that aren't just bank deposits. I forget Hmm. exactly. It's like... I forget exactly what that little reserve bank's called that they, or whatever it is that they. It's some home equity thing, right? That you'd mentioned. Some yeah, home, yeah. home equity. Yeah, which, which is a source of funding for, I think, 10 or 15 little regional banks in the States. Yeah. I'd have to. So is that like the Fed of the regional banks? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I, I don't know, Frank, do you know a little more about that or not? Not really. Not really. We've got a super chat. Super chat. This one's for you, Tom. Thank you, uh, Haplomage. <laughs> um, Tom's thoughts on Heartland Bank. Is Heartland is Bank... Is Yeah, Heartland is a little bank in New Zealand. Um, he must be paying us out of his Heartland Bank account. Those New Zealand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It looks like they possibly are a public company. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about that. Maybe we pull them up on QuickFS. It looks yeah, like the ticker symbol is HGH. It uh, should have like, New Zealand stocks on QuickFS, I think. They have Australian, so maybe. All right, here they are. What do we got? All right, Tom, from the hip, what do you got? From the, what's the mention just margin? What's happening there? <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that's tell us weird. everything we need to know about Heartland Bank right here. You have I think the data. Yeah, yeah <laughs> something weird's happening with the numbers. I think on that interest margin. Um, I don't know unless this is some payday lender that, but I don't. I'm, they're not a payday lender as far as I know. Um, uh, seems kind of expensive on price to book returns on assets and equity. Look. Decent. That's a hot take. <laughs> We'd have to look into what, like, um, what is the source of funding? What are the deposits like? Well, who are they lending what, to? And what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's yeah. just margin of 40%. Weird. It yeah. seems like an outlier on the scale. <laughs> Maybe it is a payday lender of some sort. <laughs> or they do no, like. they're not. Yeah. Okay. So. Savings and deposits, home loans, business loans, car loans, rural lo- rural loans. Um, it seems like a pretty traditional lender for New what, Zealand. What, then where is this margin coming from? This is I, why. I think the numbers are. The numbers might be weird. Maybe yeah, we yeah. need. Maybe we're a decimal point off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that would make some sense. <laughs> yeah. Some weird conversion thing. Maybe that's that sounds weird. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. Well. Good question, though. That's one for me to look at. I didn't, didn't even realize they were public. Heartland Bank. What was the market cap in the backyard? Uh, did you have it there, Jack? What's that? What was their market, market cap? cap? How big or small were they? Um, market cap of, what is that, $4 billion? That's New Zealand dollars, is it? Uh, no. US dollars. Okay. There you go. There's this question from the Art of Value um, about HDFC Bank. It's It's been a name I've seen pop up quite often in a lot of people's portfolios. It's an Indian bank, um, Housing Development and Finance Corporation, I think it's called. I think is um, this is just a really quick take from HDB. me. As soon as I hear... Um, bank in India, I'm passing. Um, it's hard enough to understand a bank, let alone a bank in a country that you don't understand um, their economy and how everything works. So, But I think it's been one that's been significantly growing, and I think that's why the price to book is 
and profit <laughs> earnings is very hard. Six times yeah. of what <laughs> they, we're looks like a base, but expensive. Yes. Yeah, it's the odd bank that's growing very fast, but yeah, growth bank is not like it's not not something that you think of very often or hear very often in this environment. Usually, yeah. see, I, mean, you, yeah, I, I always think of it as like slow, steady, lumbering in many cases. <laughs> You've got tailwinds, so like obviously that's why there's growth and could possibly have a very long runway. Sure. So, yeah, as things mature, I haven't looked into it, but. There's a yeah, lot to a- understand, I think. If you're moving into a developing country like that, um, I don't know. Mm. That's just an easy pass for me, but that's yeah, from yeah. a lack of understanding. Yeah. That's the compliance thing again. It's hard enough to figure out one country's compliance and different risks and everything behind the scenes. With banking in particular. You can say that about a lot of industries, but especially banking. Yep. Going back up to some of the earlier questions, we had quite a few, and I think I remember seeing Eunice. Um, maybe we can break people? up the... James has a question here. Uh, not related to banking. Maybe we could take a banking intermission before we get back into it. Uh, what is your largest stock holding... And what is one thing you like about it? And what's one thing you don't like about it? Hmm. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I need to double check real quick. But yeah, same. I've got a couple that are neck and neck. Yeah, same here. Um, I won't name the stock, but most people know my largest holding by this point. Um, I like the management. And what one thing I don't like, um, the over promotional aspect by the management that might be just contradicting said, myself there the one, yeah. what's the company called i can't remember um <laughs> uh, i wonder if any of the partners can have yeah <laughs> isn't it something something about jelly for me I don't, I don't yeah know. jelly jelly right <laughs> um uh, looks like purging square holdings has is my my largest uh Followed very closely by Equity Commonwealth. Interestingly, only yeah. only a few hundred bucks off. You're um, staying steady. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's been, that's kind of been like my cash allocation for the past like year, or two years almost at this point. Has been uh, Equity Commonwealth. Um, about to see my one thing. <laughs> one thing I like about it, Bill. This Ackman. is One thing I don't so like what, about it, Bill. You like about <laughs> yeah, you've got the same comments as Frank. <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> um and to get a little more precise um I, I like the general balance of the portfolio uh, although it is heavily skewed towards rest like fast food restaurants and dominoes i know just got kind of slapped um in the recent numbers uh but it's pretty concentrated i like bill ackman's thinking and approach most of the time uh, uh um, when you if you can look past many of his unnecessary controversies, <laughs> then uh, I, I like what I like what's I like the general um, concepts and, and sort of philosophy he follows. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, granted, he he does he does some weird moves sometimes and says a lot of things you probably shouldn't um, that get him in hot water for frankly <laughs> no reason. Conviction. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so yeah. I wonder if you'll give an update as to how he's how he's thinking about Netflix. Like, is he interested? Is it? Um, yeah, they posted another. Didn't they? I think they just posted their earnings and they lost more more subscribers. Yeah. Um, as they predicted. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they were weren't they up? They, they were predicted. up on earnings though because they lost less than expected or something. Yeah, they predicted two million lost. That was their guidance, and they lost nine hundred and seventy thousand. You know why they're losing subscribers? <laughs> Because Discovery is getting them. (laughs) (laughs) Or any of them. Discovery and Disney are like eating (laughs) Netflix alive. (laughs) They're kind of eating each other, really. I know. And that's also my largest stock holding. And one thing I like about it is the competition. (laughs) I like the competition a lot. It's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the low-cost provider wins. Um, And that's what I like about one of us, Discovery. So. Just the best quality content, not one. 
Um, when there's so much competition, I think when it comes to an oligopoly, um, eventually not really because the content that a lot of people watch is legacy content. Um, investment in new content is being done, but what's the return going to be like? Who knows? So at least for now, for the next say two years, I think people with legacy content, people with large libraries are going to be the dominant players as there's a lot more consolidation in the industry. Once that's what done, I'm, then let's see. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that you're like a, a really big fan of Friends and The Office. <laughs> I like The Office. That, yeah. that, that legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's NBC. So, I mean, that's... Ah, okay. They do have a pretty massive library, so I, I get what you're saying there. I think that's a pretty fair take. When I think that's a, is that the most we've heard yeah, from Quran about discovery, the most like concrete comment on it. I think so. I like it. it. Have I have I shared too much already? <laughs> yeah, it's gone way further than normal. <laughs> I thought it was deadliest catch Quran was into. <laughs> Shark Week. Shark Week is where it's at. Yeah. Shark, yeah. Shark Week every week. Shark Week. Yeah. All right. Uh Tom? Oh yeah. Uh so just by a whisker, my um largest position is now Seritage again. It's oh, returned wow. to, to the, the market top. helping you out a bit for once yeah, yeah. on Seritage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so good. uh I, I think the like and dislikes probably reasonably straightforward on this one. I like the the net asset value, or at least what I think it is. I dislike what do I dislike? The clock. Um Benjamin Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not an issue anymore. I uh, the the cash burn hurts. Um but uh, you just yeah. like time heritage. <laughs> um, I just like time moving forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the the facts have changed a little bit, or at least the strategy's changed. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, right now the biggest threat is just time, I would say. Tom, would you trim the position to add to something? That might come up, you know, that seems attractive in the next month, two months. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I've got cash to do stuff if I want to buy things at the yeah. moment. Um, yeah, if prices change dramatically or if I was fully invested, the, the equation would be different, though. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Thank you, James. Good question. Back to banks. And I guess if there's any other questions people have, feel free to put them in. I'm running out of bank talk, but I don't know about you guys. There's a question for you here. We got to hit a view this one here. Crying, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, there's a question for you here. EQC. Like, what's what's keeping EQC in the portfolio? Um, I... Part of me kind of likes, since I don't have any, like... Well, I mean, I do, but I, I don't have a lot of cash outside of the portfolio. It's sort of like my cash in the portfolio, if that makes sense, because it's just like a cash pile. And I obviously like Simzel. Um, and we're getting into stagflation in the stagflationary environment, which he built his whole career on. So, you know, I kind of like some of the risk reward there and that downside is quite low other than inflation, which maybe isn't that low. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you do have some inflation protection with the actual properties they have in the portfolio already, but it's not that much compared to the cash pile. Uh, it's been two years that they've been looking yeah, about a year and a half. I think since I've had, I, I'm not sure exactly, but probably about a year and a half approaching two years. Um, so yeah, I've just, I'm just going to left it there. I, I made like a kind of a big initial bet, put a little bit in. I trimmed actually a bit a few months ago. Um, and I just kind of left it at that right now. It's about, uh, what percent of the portfolio? It's you rode against it, right? In your M1 finance. It's around uh, 12% of the taxable portfolio. And what was that? You borrowed against it, right? In the yeah, the whole, uh, I mean, it's the whole portfolio, yeah. So that's another reason I kind of like having a little bit of cash kind of as a backbone, uh, just because I, I have leverage to pay for the uh, down payment and some of the closing fees for the Houston house. But that'll get paid back over the next few months. Eunice, yeah. Eunice just... Has a comment. Is he got like a direct line with Monish or something? <laughs> someone, no, there was a regulatory filing came out. Someone messaged me about it yesterday, actually. Um, okay. So, yeah. Can we new, pull that up on stock? I, I kind of want to hit this one he asked pretty early in the show, though. Is it, yeah, it's sure. a good kind of general question. We can get to, to, to Monish. Uh, sorry to 
grab the wheel. <laughs> but uh, uh, how do you judge the credit risk of a bank without really knowing who their borrowers are? Do you look at lending history, past default rate? It's a good question. Is there a, a method NPLs, to that? Right? You look at the NPLs, isn't it? That's uh, the non-performing yeah. loan. Yeah, that's well. There's a lot of stuff you can look at. That's one of them. I, I think history is probably the best tell. Yeah, uh, assuming that they're, um, you know, assuming you're looking at history and in future the bank tends, you know, plans to make the same types of loans. They have the same management. There's no mm -hmm. big adjustment happening in the business. That's that's the best way to go. I would say. But again, one of these things that's way easier with smaller banks than larger banks. With, with larger banks, there can be all sorts of weird derivative stuff under the hood that uh, that you yeah. don't know about. It doesn't even show up on the balance sheet, really. Right. Yeah. We we're talking about before yeah, so, the show about like how exposed is J.P. Morgan Chase really? Like, does anyone really know <laughs> with all all the stuff behind the scenes? Yeah. Yeah, so look at non-performing loans. Look at uh, net charge-offs uh, as a common kind of metric yeah. that people will have as well. Um, yeah, net charge-offs, net charge Oh, I can't even say that word, wow. <laughs> um, for something like Hingham, you could look back through a period like 2008 or any bank you're looking at, um, but Hingham I mentioned because they did well during that financial crisis, even with net charge-offs then. So if during their history in a time where the economy's tough, I guess, for banks... If they manage to keep that low, then you know they've got a his good history of loans. But then you have to also, like Tom said, I guess, same management has to be in place, same strategy, um, which with Hingham at least I think is happening. Um, but I think that's the way I would really think about it anyway. Yeah, I just I just shared those net charge-offs, Jack, for, for Hingham. Um, might be interesting to take a look at. The, the blue bar is net charge-offs for the industry and uh the red if you can see it it's hanging <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. um, so obviously the spike at, there's around 2008 and 9 yeah but it's it's not even close and, and uh if anyone's wondering what those negative net charge-offs are uh back in the early 2000s that's some uh some court cases they won uh they got a little bit of cash back actually so uh, that's, <laughs> that's nice to see sharks absolutely sharks <laughs> <laughs> so there you go neat well that's reassuring all in on Hingham <laughs> say that yeah we're not uh, endorsing Hingham like yeah, it's not a stock recommendation yeah if you want the negatives on Hingham do some digging on their deposits because like we said they've got like 110% loan to deposits or something they could certainly get cheaper sources of funding if they had a better deposit base um yeah, phenomenal performance on the loan side. Deposits leave a few things to be desired, I would say. We got to give uh, our man Jason some some light. Uh, how do you value banks? PE book value. We've kind of been talking about some of the multiples. Is, is there one that you look at first um, as a general rule? Do you want to take that first, Frank? Uh, I jumped to PE ratio pretty quickly. Um, in comparison to, I guess, a return on equity and a few other measures. But um, earnings is what matter, just with almost any other company. I don't think it's too much different for banks and um, Buffett's one to relay that message over and over and over again. Um, he actually did a interview, and it was maybe 10 years ago or so, it gets quoted all the time, but he specifically says to value banks on earnings, not on book value. Um, so I'll hand that over to Buffett on that one, I guess. Yeah, I, I have a slightly different view. I, I think Buffett said that you're right, what will matter at the end of the day are earnings, but the way he seemed to be talking about assessing a bank was all about return on assets, kind of like the way we've been looking at it, like a, a bank that has, I forget the exact numbers he was saying, but you know, you know, it was something to the effect of a bank that has a high return on assets should trade at a higher price to book. And he actually said price to book in that interview. Um so, yeah, there's a few things you could look at. I, I recently did a bank valuation video and kind of showed some of the things I factor in, but um, kind of your return will come down to some of the things we laid out with return on assets, how much leverage they use, and therefore what's the return on equity, and then their reinvestment rate as well. So, obviously, if you, um, you, know, if you pay two times book, for example, 
and they earn, a, I guess, a 20% return on equity to keep the maths simple, uh, you're only getting a 10% kind of yield as a shareholder because you've paid double the book value. Um, you then have to look at where that capital is allocated. So if it was all paid out to you as a dividend, your return would be approximately 10%. If it was all reinvested in the business at 20% returns on equity and there was no change in book value multiple over time, your return would actually be 20%. Um, and it'll be somewhere in the middle depending on how much they're paying out and you know whether those factors change moving forward. So there's a few few variables to consider there. And I guess moving just beyond the surface level metrics, I guess you want to know, you want to look at deposits, how fast they're growing. You could look at a price to deposit type ratio, efficiency ratios, um, the return on return on tangible capital employed, things like that as well. So um, I guess at the surface level, I jumped to a PE ratio, but it, like anything else, it goes far beyond that. And you mean you can't just so look much. at one number and call it a day? <laughs> oh, Oh. Maybe maybe that's what Buffett's doing with Citigroup because they're trading at about half the PE ratio or price to book, whichever one you choose, of every other large bank. So maybe that's what Buffett does. It's actually day trade. <laughs> Buffett just screens PE ratio. Well, yeah. What's the lowest? <laughs> Citigroup. There yeah, go. he finally got a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, uh, screen is everything. Your moody manuals, I mean. Should we get back to uh, Monish? Can we pull this up on Ticker? This is news to me. I've got nothing. Tom, do you want you heard about this before, right? Is uh yeah, only what uh, a guy messaged me on Twitter yesterday, so I don't know huge I don't know anything really <laughs> besides the ticker and roughly what they do. It's some sort of uh they manage airport airports in tourist cities in Turkey and some Arabic countries. And they have um, a couple of airports they manage in Russia, apparently. So not sure how that's currently impacting things. But oh, you've got the description right there. Is that roughly what it says? Yep. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> there we go. That's a, that's a niche. That's Yeah. This seems like a – how much competition could this possibly have? I'm not sure on the airport terminal industry, but it seems like it'd be hard to break into once someone's in. It's another pretty small company for Manish to be investing in. I'm assuming it's only a tiny position for him. Yeah, it's a show. Might have like 600 billion, 600 million in like assets, trading at like 50 million. Might be one of those. <laughs> Has, have we got anything in that ownership tab for Manish yet, Jack? Nothing, um, yeah. Well, nothing in the top ten. Someone like owns someone owns forty six percent of the company or a corporation. Here. <laughs> the Naveen pension fund is in it <laughs> here in the States. Um Yeah. There must apparently um, apparently Sorry, Frank. Apparently, he owns four point nine eight percent as of the filing that came out. So it'd make him the third largest, but well behind this first one here. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. But they're both um, corporations. It says are they like holding companies? Maybe it could be yeah. the biggest shareholder. Does anyone know what the recent change was over the last twelve months? Um, just looking. If you pull up their revenue, Jack, you'll see what I mean. Um, it just spiked dramatically, I guess. I don't know where that's come from, but. Yeah, what the? <laughs> and even last one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. Well, that that's missing the most recent one, which is yeah, the this, highest. At 10. It's like many, many times that. Yeah, what happened? I this think it doesn't is, pull up the last 12 months on the chart, maybe. but Or am I. Here, let me make sure it's in dollars. Yeah, it's just that's inflation. <laughs> I switched it to dollars and now it's not. Okay. Really. Wow. Yeah, got, yeah. That's some inflation. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh, that's incredible. Um, but margins are all over the place. Like, I don't really know what's going on. It doesn't, there must be some kind of underlying asset or something behind it rather than just a growth story. Yeah. Has it done okay? Um, like performance wise, long term? 
uh, down over the last three. How fairly fairly flat, a little bit up over the last year. Quite good this year. And we're looking in US dollars, so this yes, is we inflation. Are. Yeah, quite, quite what was good that? recently. Did it go right back to 2004 or whenever Tika goes back to 2007? Interesting. So what hmm. about over 10 years, Jack? Yeah, down. Wow. Yeah, that's just too hard basket so quickly for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird one. It's definitely a weird one. Yeah, there's probably, I don't know, maybe there's some special event going on. We I'm sure there's to. something to it, but that's just the type of company I see and I'm like, no thanks. What else Thank we got? You, Eunice? Uh, maybe one or two questions. And then call it, yeah. call it a call it an episode. Tom, um, are you doing? Um, are you selling puts? James has a question. Have you got any uh, related no. options? No, I still I still need to figure out tax implications on that one. Tom wants to be a YOLO options trader, preferably for <laughs> crypto. <laughs> no, I want to. Uh, I want to go Peterson style, most likely. Sell them puts. Sell those high-priced puts. Yeah. Lower that cost basis. Yeah, be interesting. I'm not not sure how that works over here. So, have you, you taken active some... brokers? Or, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can get access to them. Probably interactive brokers would be the way to go. I just need to, uh, yeah, need to figure out tax stuff. New Zealand has some pretty quirky tax rules around shares some very very good like you know capital gains tax and reputation mm-hmm. credits on dividends and stuff um some a little weird <laughs> like like if we have over fifty thousand dollars invested outside of new zealand and australia you effectively can pay unrealized um you know tax on unrealized gains which is horrific and uh there's like a classification as to whether you're considered an investor or a trader where um, you have slightly different tax treatments. And I, I don't want to get into that trader basket. So I'm going to see if, if options changes that. Change of topic here quickly. Can we pull up Lewis's comment? Do I say assuming weird? Is that an Aussie thing or am I missing this? Am I missing this? Assuming. Yeah, it, it is like shoe, like on your foot. Like this, How this do you say the word? Can everyone say this for me? Assuming. Assuming. Yeah. yeah, you've got an H in there, I think. You mean yeah, a H? Like a H in, assuming. <laughs> yeah, H. <laughs> H is the letter in the alphabet, as is Z. <laughs> yeah. Keen observation there. <laughs> and uh, if you, it isn't no with an R. It's not no, it's nar. <laughs> a little is bit, that a right? New Zealand thing as well, or mainly Australia? Yeah, I think so. Say no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. It's a little R. Okay. <laughs> what a weird so thing to say. I think I think we have more word things than accent things, like gas instead of petrol. <laughs> or yeah, that's literally a liquid. That's <laughs> uh, gasoline, um, right? Short for gasoline. It's got correct. It. Yeah. Okay. It's not that you guys skip physics or anything. <laughs> correct. <laughs> okay. What else we got? A good question to wrap up on. Uh, we got who's going to the punch card conference next year? And Jason, <laughs> sh- sh- should we get a should we get a meetup going? Yeah, I should put a yep. vote in the Discord or something. How many people would show up to a punch card meeting? Yeah, we're having it at New Zealand, Jason tells me as well. Yeah, that'd be easy for you, <laughs> huh? <laughs> and Frank. That's yeah. not easy for me. Yeah, it's even it's not even that easy. It's just yeah. But still easier we for could, We could head to the um that jelly company's annual meeting in Sydney. Let's do that. Jelly company. Or, yeah, we were talking no. about it before. What about that that uh, that that milk uh, 
infant formula bubs. company. <laughs> bubs. Yeah. Which one? Yeah, yeah bubs. <laughs> bubs. I don't know what they are up to. <laughs> Cashing out as much stock as possible, like ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Liquidating shareholders. Mm. All the good time to be. Good time to be earning money in US dollars for them, though. Which is weird to think about, given all the printing, because it's been worldwide. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I. Uh, I think I've said in a video, my portfolio is up seven percent just on currency this year. It's the dollar milkshake. Dollar milkshake yeah. theory. That's that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, everyone's oh, everyone's no. got their dollar debt to pay, and, and yeah. everyone's freaking out. <laughs> they need dollars. Yeah. It's that yeah, TIP had... podcast, right? Who's who's that guest? Brett We're Brett Johnson. Right. That's his theory. Yeah, I, I like watching nice all the macros. The macro guys—they're kind of intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> they get a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. It, it always feels like it's helpful, but I mean, it, it really isn't. <laughs> and, and at least for a lot of investment decisions. Yeah, at least at least in my opinion, you can think whatever you want. If you're a macro expert, go for it. You can certainly make money if you can identify things early. But it's just it's so hard. hard. Yeah, a lot of people that claim to be macro experts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially recently. <laughs> yeah, especially with an, when inflation is high, everyone's a macro expert. Yeah. All right, should should we wrap it up there? Any final thoughts on banks or anything? Anything we should anything we should mention before we sign off? No, I think we. Um, if there's no other questions, we should. Probably crank that music back up just to remind people how exciting the banking oh, industry is. Oh yeah, let's really get energized again. And, uh, and suggestions <laughs> for topics. If anyone has suggestions for topics, upcoming weeks, drop them in the chat now. That'd be great. The music. Let the music inspire you. Tom, you uh, <laughs> you, sh- you still shopping for homes? Uh, I may have some news on that. I'll, I'll hold off till next week. Ooh, nice. Fantastic. Like, uh, like how 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 recent or how how soon are we gonna hear? Thing. Uh, oh yeah, next week. Next week's episode. Next week we'll have a we'll have some sort of update. All right, looking yeah, forward. I'll give to you it. guys the gossip behind the scenes and, and everyone else. <laughs> get the in next week. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just run a solo show if you want. Um, all right. With that said, thank you everyone for tuning in for this fantastic, exciting, thrilling, amazing, energizing episode of talking about banks. It's not too often you can just talk about banks all day, I guess. <laughs> so uh, it was good to do that. It, it, it's good. It's kind of like eating your vegetables, just kind of learning about a, a very important industry. And maybe there's some good opportunities in it. So, you know, if you got any value out of it, definitely smash that like button. It goes a long way towards helping the channel. Comment and subscribe while you're at it. If you haven't subscribed already, you might as well do it so you don't miss next week's episode. We try to do these at the same time every single week. And we've... Uh, almost done every single week we're 60 episodes in so it's been quite some time together and it's been fun so uh oh yeah and please help the channel out by checking out those affiliate links in the description below that helps a ton with that said till next time